Welcome to the Cherry Becker Tax Beat, a conversation about tax that matters. Welcome to this edition of the Cherry Becker Tax Beat Podcast. Today's episode is an overview of the proposed rules for beneficial owner information reporting. That's a mouthful. We'll say BOI reporting sometimes. Um, this looks to be like a new compliance headache, particularly for closely held businesses. Uh, we'll talk about what it is and why it should matter to you. The regulations and report mechanisms are not yet effective, but advanced planning can make this new law and its requirements less daunting. All right, joining in today's conversation is Michael Cornett, a director with the firm's international tax services team. Hello, Michael. Hi, Brooks. How are you doing today? Um, hello, everyone. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, actually, today I'm in the mountains of West Virginia, so uh, enjoying some little mountain fresh air today. All right. What 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 specific area of West Virginia, if I may ask? Uh, uh, Southern uh, West Virginia, down along the border with uh, Virginia down here, kind of more in the Roanoke area. All right. Awesome. Awesome. All right. And as always, joining us is Sarah McGregor. Hi, sir. Hello, all. Uh, happy still calling in from Greenville, South Carolina. Happy to be here. All right. And I'm Brooks Nelson, a partner out of Richmond, but today I'm sitting in our Washington, D.C. office. So, uh, the team's all gathered. So, uh, Sarah, how's life treating you right now? Life is good. Just got through um, the week holiday. The firm is transitioning to its after its big transaction and uh, a lot of good things happening here in the second half of the summer, including a little vacation time coming up. Yeah. Very important to get that vacation time in. Exciting things. All right. So let's move on to today's topic and I'll give a little bit of background. Uh, this all has its roots in what was called the Corporate Transparency Act, or CTA, as we will abbreviate it sometimes. Uh, this was passed into law effective January 1, 2021. CTA was part of a larger Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2021. It requires most business enti entities registered to conduct business in the U.S. to report information about the entity's beneficial owners, and I guess that's a key term. Uh, so requiring to report information about the entity's beneficial owners to the Department of the Treasury and other un undoubtedly other elements of the government. Um, specifically, CTA requires certain domestic and foreign held business entities to identify and provide personal information about the owners or key management personnel to the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network also called FinCEN, a division of the Treasury. Um, and we run into FinCEN with some other um, annual reporting requirements, particularly um, when we get into the international uh, area. So a lot of acronyms here, but the goal of CTA is to limit the use of shell companies to hide actual individuals owning or controlling activities that may evade tax or may be criminal. So I'm gonna repeat that one more time. The goal of CTA, the Corporate Transparency Act is to limit the use of shell companies. So I think if if that sticks in your mind, maybe the rest of this makes a little more sense, or at least is easier to interpret. 
All right, information collected by FinCEN may be shared with other government agencies, law enforcement, financial institutions, and regulators. I know that's very shocking that uh, you turn the information into FinCEN and it will be uh, sprinkled throughout all the uh, federal reporting uh, mechanisms and systems. All right, Sarah, this law was passed over a year ago. Why are we talking about it now? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, the law was passed and according to the law itself should become effective for initial reporting in January of 2023. Uh, and to stay on track with that, Treasury passed or, or uh, proposed regulations and uh, back at the early part of this year, maybe late December of 2021. <clears throat> and uh, then there's been a comment period and now we're waiting to see if they finalize the regulations. The law doesn't become effective until the regulations are finalized. But, um, you know, it's it's so complicated. People need to get ready early. That's why we're talking about it. Well, at least they need to get used to the concept. And so when it comes out, uh, it's not uh, the mad rush to how do we comply with this stuff. All right, so BOI reporting. So again, beneficial ownership interest reporting is more common in other parts of the world. So Mike, um, is the U.S. playing catch up or, or are we going to be ahead of it? What, I mean, how is that? How are we going to look relative to the rest of the world with this? Yeah, Burke, at this point in time, the U.S. really is starting to play a little catch up. I mean, uh, they actually, they were in front on this kind of, uh, reporting back, you know, because they had the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act back in 2010, which was trying to help identify, you know, U.S. persons that were hiding behind foreign entities. And that kind of started the world down this path of really trying to understand who owns these entities, you know, both foreign and U.S. So foreign countries took it kind of to the next step and say, we want to know your customer. We want to know who's behind these companies, if you're opening a bank account, if you're dealing with them. And the U.S. kind of really never went down that path until this law got passed here. And so now, you know, we really are catching up uh, to say, OK, who are the people behind these you know, reporting companies that we're going to be targeting? Because the world has started to view the U.S. as a very, you know, even more secretive and uh, then even Switzerland or the Cayman Islands in certain cases, you know, particularly with, you know, U.S. LLCs being out there. And, and you know, what we've found or the Treasury's found that a lot of these companies are actually being used to, you know, do money laundering, you know, financing terrorism as well as other illegal activities. So we, we really are playing catch up at this point in time. All right. Well, you just scared me a little. Um, <laughs> um, all right. But Sarah, who has to file this new report? Well, well and specifically, what is or who is a reporting company? Well, sure. The as of as you might expect, the uh, the law was written to uh, swat this small problem of a small community of criminal or or, or unsavory activity with a big stick, and so it's going to affect many many companies in the U.S. having to uh, report. Basically, it's any domestic entity or foreign reporting company that's registered to do business with a state uh, or is authorized by filing some sort of form to for its origination with a state. <clears throat> so that includes things like uh, limited liability partnerships, LLCs, corporations, S-corporations. Those kinds of entities will all be pulled into having to be a reporting 
company. However, it's not not every company in the U.S. has to report. There are 23 distinct categories of exemptions from being a reporting company. Mostly this has to do, most of the exemptions have to do with companies that are already getting some sort of regulatory scrutiny. So insurance companies are looked at by insurance regulators, banks, credit unions, savings loans, uh, uh, savings associations, those kinds of entities, uh, REITs and, and um, uh, uh, mutual funds, all of those that already have a good bit of reporting, SEC reporting companies, all of these are uh, exempt, including registered public accounting firms, which is helpful, but um, law firms still have to report. So those entities are all exempted. The big one that's going to be most helpful to exempting uh, middle market clients and otherwise is what they refer to as a large business exemption. And to be a large business and meet this exemption, you have to have three things, uh, more than 20 employees, at least $5 million in uh, gross receipts reported on a tax return in the prior year, and uh, maintain a physical office or location in the United States. So if you don't, if you miss one of those three, then you're going to need to report uh, and be a reporting company. So, you know, pretty significant number of businesses. They're probably, I think, Mike, you pulled some numbers that said 30 plus million existing business entities in the United States and another um, 40,000 plus of businesses. Uh, uh, foreign entities, and uh, that doesn't even count the four million or so of new entities that are generated every year. So it's going to be a big compliance problem for people to get registered for existing businesses, and then there'll be an ongoing registration for for new businesses. So let's just delve into that a little bit. So we talk about these different entities, but you know, one group or one um integrated business or as far as the public's concerned one business can actually and is typically made up of numerous entities it is nothing you know for a large company to have a dozen entities within its uh, corporate structure and so i guess as i'm hearing you talk i'm hearing that you know some of the entities within this structure could be subject to this some of them may not be subject and just because on the surface you know you're this operating uh, company exception you're talking about you could have many entities in your structure that are not uh, under uh, that exception yes i mean we have some uh, clients in some of our tech industries that do not even have a, a a business location everybody works remotely there isn't a named location for that business um we think about some of our real estate funds or private equity funds you might have a management company with four employ four owners who drive a private equity fund that has lots of owners, lots of uh, activity, but no employees, which has a portfolio company, which does have, uh, which might not be a reporting entity because it is a large entity, but it has a subsidiary, which might have to report. So you could have any uh, three out of those four entities would all have to report. But when you look at them together, they would not be the test. But because you have right now, the way the proposed regs regulations were presented, you'd have to look at each individual business entity and decide whether it meets the criteria to be a reporting company or not. And the same thing for international companies, Mike, right? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the same kind of structures that exist domestically exist foreign, and you could have multiple beneficial owners here that we're going to talk about shortly that you may have to report on. Right. Yeah, I just, my mind spins. You know, your real estate example, Sarah, you could add all the special purpose entities these real estate deals sometimes have to do for the financing. I mean, it's just... Um, anyway, on the surface, these seem mind, mind, a little mind-numbing uh, how far the reach is. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's go to what you just talked about, Mike. Uh, who is a beneficial owner that we're talking about that, that's being reported? Yeah, uh, Brooks, a beneficial owner here is an individual, so that's the first thing. You were looking for an individual, and then there's one of two tests that you have to look at, you know, who either directly or indirectly, you know, exercises what they call substantial control over the reporting company. And that could be via a contract, an arrangement, uh, really a very broad definition of what, you know, could be substantial control or owns or controls at least 25% of the ownership interest in the reporting company. So at least there's a little more clarity when you have, you know, looking at ownership interests, but even that can be somewhat confusing, but they're looking for this concept of ownership or control, uh, and they don't define what substantial control is uh, in these regulations. So, you know, it could be, you know, the examples they sort of give, it could be a senior officer of the reporting company might be viewed as somebody who's substantial control and therefore is a beneficial owner, even if they didn't own any of the company. Uh, you know, if there's a majority or dominant player on the board of directors, you know, that could be somebody with substantial control. So right now it's very open-ended. Um, you know, it's not just based upon ownership. And so a reporting company could actually have to report, you know, multiple beneficial owners on it. So, I mean, you could be, you know, you might have, let's just say, example, you had four 25% owners, you say, fine, I report those. But then you might have a senior officer or, you know, management companies we just talked about, and you may have to report people there as a beneficial owner as well. So we're not just going for one, we're going for, it's not it's not the least amount, it's like they want you to report every single person that could possibly fall under that definition. That is correct. Wow, okay, well, <laughs> it's getting even more mind boggling if you're gonna go, there's so much, so, so, so much subjectivity to that. I mean, Sarah, I mean, yeah, how 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 does this you know how does how do you see all the substantial control reaching out? Uh, well, I think uh, you you mentioned in your opening talking about headache and daunting and complicated. Uh, this is what we're looking looking at. So substantial control, of course, uh, in back in my example, if you've got four uh, four individuals owning a management company, well, do all four of them count as having control over an operation? You think, well, each owns 25%. That's not, uh, that doesn't be substantial control. But what if one of them is the managing partner of that entity or is the general partner? Or what if there is a CFO or a COO that runs, a, has control over a subsidiary? Um, they could be a, uh, meet that criteria. Uh, if they're named as the person that has authority to execute operations within that uh, uh, single member LLC in or a joint venture of two corporations coming together, no employees, but you do have somebody running the day-to-day -day transactions or in charge. 
Um, it's going to be very important. Um, I th think, Mike, in the ownership, it's also uh, you've got to look at those related party transactions and related ownership, indirect or direct ownership. Yeah, right. And, and you know, and again, they don't really define those concepts in these regs. Now, that concept exists, you know, in some of the international tax provisions, you know, direct, indirect, you know, constructive. But we'll we'll see what they adopt here in the final regs if they're going to piggyback off those or create some of their some new definition we've never had to deal with. Yeah, I think they will go to whatever gets possible is what I I believe they will go for. So. Well, that's an optimistic take, sir. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, Lordy. All right. So um, all right. So, Sarah, uh, when would the information have to be reported to FinCEN? Um, well, this is interesting. For existing companies, uh, there's going to be a short period of time, relatively short period of time. Once the regulations are finalized, uh, everybody will have to report at once. And there's about a year's time frame to get those reports in. Uh, of, for new applicants, new entities formed, they'll have to report in a very short time frame. So if you were going to form a new C corporation or an LLC um, and filing the, the paperwork with the state authority to, to grant the entity, then you'll also need to go ahead and file with FinCEN to report the owners, uh, the beneficial owners of that new entity. <clears throat> Changes is the other one that is difficult um, when we talk about what information has to be reported. Um, reporting changes in that information right now the proposed regulations say you've got a 30-day window to report changes and only about 14 days to report corrections of errors once you find them so um, unlike tax return filings which are an annual reporting uh, this seems to be looking for updates uh, throughout the years we we hopeful that maybe the final regulations will allow for a once a year update instead of having to to be on on notice so quickly because um, Mike is you know, figuring out what information has to be reported is is going to be pretty difficult too well yeah can I just can we just again revisit that so not only are we reporting the different owners can you, you know go back over what information has to be reported regarding each owner you identify yeah, you know, Brooks, yeah, what has to be reported, you know, on each owner uh, is, you know, their their full legal name has to be provided, their date of birth, uh, an address, you know, current resident or, or business address, and then, you know, some a unique identification number, whether it be, you know, passport number, driver's license number, uh, and then in addition to just reporting the number, you have to, if you're the reporting company, have to get a copy of that so you have to attach a copy of that passport or that driver's license showing that number that's there and so that's for the beneficial owner you know for the person who might have registered the company or formed the company you also have to you know report that similar information uh as well potentially because it's not just the beneficial owner but they look for what they call a company applicant so the person who maybe registered the company with the state uh, you know, so maybe that's a law firm or, you know, it's an individual at the law firm, you know, they're going to have to provide their name and information as the one who formed this company. Wow. And then we're talking about changes here. So anytime, presumably any data that changes with any of that information you've just submitted requires a update within 30 days, at least as it stands now. 
Right. So yeah. you, you can see how complicated and, and a new system of data information and protecting this data because it's people's individual information uh, is, is going to become very important um, for for companies to work work out how who collects this, how do they collect this, how do they stay informed of changes and how do they protect this information from um, people who would like to abuse it. All righty. Well, Mike, when is this going to become effective? Can you go over that again? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was, you know, supposed to be, you know, effective at the end of the year, but again, they have to finalize the regulations. So basically, it'll become effective after regulations get finalized. Uh, no one really knows, you know, there was thought it would be finalized by the end of this year. But, you know, FinCEN is, you know, behind on, you know, really developing you know, their reporting system, they haven't even released a draft form. So, you know, I, I think if nothing comes out here in the next couple of months finalizing any regs, I think it's probably going to kind of dwindle over in the next year. But we'll just have to wait and see because when they go final, that's when at least the way they're written, you know, you have the clock starts running. That clock you know, is reporting. how many days? Uh, if, if you're an existing company, it's, you know, a year. Uh, from when they, you know, became effective. If you're a brand new company, it'll be the 30 days. And again, I just oh, said sorry, it'll be 14 days if a new 14 calendar days. Sorry, not 30 days. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I still sit here and, you know, in my mind, say we have existing businesses that form entities, mm -hmm. and so, you know, as you sit there and fill in new entities they're going to be sub even if you as the existing company are not subject as it stands now your new entities could be subject and i mean that's yes uh yeah it seems like yeah danger lurking all right yes what are the penalties for non-compliance uh, do, do we know what those would be uh they have stated those but i couldn't tell you right now i really was not paying attention to the at that yet until the rules the regulations okay. become final yeah but i yes, mean I, got high level. oh sorry sarah go ahead sorry no go ahead it, i think there's monetary penalties based on uh number of days you're not in compliance yeah there's both civil and criminal penalties if you know you willfully provide or provide some false information civil penalties can be up to 500 dollars per day uh, you can get hit with a criminal fine of up to ten thousand dollars and possibly prison up to two years. So they're, uh, they're they're putting similar teeth that they put into the other what I'll call broad information reporting regimes in this area. Um, uh, one that we mentioned earlier, and then the FBAR regimes. You know, they they're putting you know scary penalties, and um, presumably there'll be phases of enforcements as we go along. But anyway. Yeah. Anyway, it's not window dressing kind of deal, though. Correct. All right. So the final question to each of you, and I'll start with Sarah. What what can companies be doing now? What should they be doing now to get ready for this? Well, it it, it is uh it is law, and so we're just waiting for the method for implementing this law. Um, so I would suggest that people that companies start figuring out which of their entities um, uh, meet the requirement to report and then figure out the processes and mechanisms for figuring out how they will keep up with the beneficial owner information. And what could you possibly add to that, Mike? Yeah, I, I think. <laughs> 
you know, I think what the other things they have to think about, particularly on a going forward basis, you know, for any new entities being formed or even for your old entities, start to think about how you're going to modify your agreements, mm-hmm. you know, your your documents for, you know, if you're bringing in people into a private equity fund, for example, you know, that, you know, the agreements now that re- require, you know, owners to provide their beneficial information and required documentation. Uh, you know, think about how if an owner says, an investor says, I don't want to do that, or I won't do that, you know, what kind of penalties you might want in your documents to force someone to do that. Uh, and then I think, you know, talk last thing companies think it do is really, as Sarah kind of pointed to, how are we going to control this information? How are we going to restrict access to this information? So you're going to have to build some systems to do this, uh, you know, and you're going to have yeah. to think about how do I contract with, you know, my owners and investors to make sure I get the information so that I'm not subject as a reporting company to a penalty. Right. Yeah. And obviously there's going to be some sensitivity about people floating their social security numbers or passports or whatever numbers around in this day and age, you know, that's um, always. Yeah. yeah one, one thing FinCEN has done to try to, I think, alleviate that concern a little bit is they are going to, um, issue what they call you can't apply to get a fincen identifier oh good Uh, and that is an you know you would have to obtain you know issue you know provide an application to fincen and they would issue kind of your unique identifier so that you know you could not you wouldn't have to necessarily provide that driver's license or passport going forward you could just provide that identification number so they've thought about that a little bit to give you an opportunity to get a different number well at least there's one good thing I've heard about all of this, and that's it. So, <laughs> all right. I guess I will just add. I, um, you know, I I hope that they're taking feedback and will modify some of these regs and simplify some of this and try to make some group exceptions. Like if you if you're part of a group and the group as a whole meets an exception that you don't have to parse through all your structures to see who's in and who's out and that kind of deal. And yeah. And I would hope um, that we can streamline, uh, you know, this change updating and some of this other stuff. I mean, this, you know, asking people to be on a 14 or 30 day clock seems rather ridiculous given the amount of data that they're going to be receiving and there's no way or you know the government's going to be able to effectively manage or sift through all this so why are they going to why why this massive rush kind of deal too all right i think it's time to wrap up this uh podcast on the overview of the cta and beneficial owner information reporting Uh, Thank you for listening in. A quick disclaimer that we are not providing tax advice on this podcast. Please consult with your tax advisor, hopefully at Cherry Beckert Advisory, with your specific tax issues or discuss information from today's podcast. Check out the firm's website at cbh.com for the latest guidance and materials on this and other tax and business topics. This concludes today's podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. We truly appreciate it. Let's call it a day and go forth in peace.